Last year, we grew at a clip rate of uh, about 60%. We've just hit, uh, last year, we hit $100 million in sales. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. Today, we have Paulo Rosado, who is the CEO of OutSystems, which is the low-code platform to visually develop your application, integrate with existing systems, and add your own code when needed. I know if that sounds a little complex, don't worry. Paulo is here to explain what that means. So, Paulo, how's it going? It's going very well, Eric. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for being here. So, yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of who you are and what your company does? OutSystems fundamentally started as a development platform in the cloud so that we could solve the problem of uh, of speed, productivity, and change, software change inside the enterprise. So we've built this uh, uh, this platform where you can develop pretty sophisticated mobile, uh, responsive web apps, workflows, very large systems also in a visual manner, and at the same time be able to control the full application lifecycle of these applications from development to staging, testing, up until production. And by doing that, we fundamentally compress by about four times the typical time you take to do a project uh, in one of these, uh, to produce one of these apps. Um, at the same time, we also reduce dramatically the size of the teams between three to four times. Great. So in layman's terms, in practical terms, I mean, is there like a case study of any company that you can share where they use OutSystems to succeed? Oh, we have many. Well, we have, um, uh, for instance, Logitech uh, in the United mm-hmm. States um, uses us to, to build a, a slew of applications from portals, uh, uh, supply chain apps, um, uh, dashboards. And um, they had a very large, for instance, a very large Lotus Notes installation, which they have been uh, migrating to OutSystems with a lot of success. On the other end, I have a, uh, another company, a very large uh, logistics company, a company called Vopak. It's, um, it's a Dutch company who operates 80-plus um, uh, oil and gas terminals in the world. And what they do is they, uh, is they basically operate the big oil tankers that come into the ports, uh, pipe the oil into these big reservoirs they, they own, and then they, they manage the distribution of uh, the oil and gas uh, through trucks, through mainland. All of that system uh, that runs across uh, all these terminals was also built uh, in out systems. And, and just so that you have an idea of the type of uh, uh, high productivity gains we, we have here, for a system like that, um, the the typical sizing that we were looking at was about four years, three to four years, um, if you wanted to build it in Java or .NET, and in OutSystems it got compressed to about seven months of uh, of, of work. Wow, that's great. So I mean, that sounds really useful, right? And uh, I mean, I guess the question, next question is, how do you guys make money? How do you charge? Well, we we actually make money out of uh, our renting uh, the platform. So 
most of our customers operate out of uh, our cloud. We also have a, um, uh, an on-premise offer uh, that we give for very large companies who want to deploy their own private clouds. But um, uh, what we, we sell based on uh, on number of applications and size of these applications. And um, if you start with a, with a small uh, applications, then you pay us a little bit. And as the application grow or you want to build more apps, then we... We make more money. We charge you a little bit more Got as it. you as you use more. So, what's like the pricing range? Let's say you know you're talking about you know like a you know a big company out there like you could compare it to a Logitech size or somebody starting out. What does that look like? Well, we start at about 25k per year, but some of these installations with uh, with a lot of views, um, given that uh, in some cases are we save um, uh, tens of millions of dollars, uh, it can go up to 500k, 750k, 1 million and plus per year. All right. And yeah, what kind of numbers can you share around the business today? You know, revenues, employee numbers, customers, things like that. In terms of the customer base, today we are approaching about 800 enterprise customers worldwide spread across 43 countries today and the 22 industries. So it's a very horizontal sale, if I say so. Last year, we grew at a clip rate of uh, about 60%. We've just hit, uh, last year, we hit $100 million in sales. Wow, you said $100 million? $100 million, yeah. Wow, incredible. Great, congratulations on that. So, you know, in the in the early days, or even right now, I guess let's go to, with the early days first. I mean, how did you go about acquiring, let's just say, your first uh, 50 enterprise customers? Uh, very painfully. <laughs> so it's... Uh, so we're talking about enterprise, right? Mm-hmm. Enterprise customers. So this is not a, a consumer model, a consumer business. So it's um, uh, we were very early in the market. And so we were probably around 11 to 13 years ahead uh, of the market. So during all that time, it was a very evangelical sale. So in the beginning, we did, uh, I personally closed a lot of sales. Um, so we had to uh, push the idea. Um, we typically had a, we, we, we very much faced the, the, the issue of too good to be true. No one believed the numbers. And so we actually had to water down the productivity numbers to be credible. Um, and so we amassed one by one. Uh, we, amassed, uh, uh, we amassed the initial base. We also were spread across several countries. We started first in Europe. Um, and then we moved to the United States when we were about 30 customers. Um, and so every country that we started was almost like a restart. So that was a little bit of a mistake. If I if I had to do things a little bit differently today, I would probably concentrate on one big region first and, and create a base there. But but the fact of the matter is we emerge um, we emerge out of these uh, very painful years with a very very large. Uh, customer base across a very large number of countries. Got it. So, I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, you're early kind of before your time and you had to be really, you know, evangelical. I, I don't even know how to, how, how to say the word. What, what's evangelical? The word? Evangelical. <laughs> that, that's like, I've never said that word in my like, life. So. No, no, it's, it's like a missionary sale, right? Yeah. I mean, you go door to door like the Jesuits did in, uh, in Japan and you try to convert people um, to something that, that, that uh, for a very long time was a very weird product. Right. We, uh, if you think about the whole concept of uh, DevOps, <clears throat> which we introduced in our product in 2001, uh, DevOps, uh, the the term continuous delivery, full integration between development and production and operations, they, those terms only really came to mind about uh, seven eight years ago. And so we, uh, 
I mean, we were really early uh, in the market. So whenever we presented uh, this type of product, uh, only after doing a POC, only after experimenting, only after the customers talking with other customers, did they actually give it a shot. And then, of course, they would become addicted and they would grow very, very quickly. But um, uh, while we didn't create that critical mass, it was painful. How long did you have to suffer for before you started to gain traction? Real traction, like uh, 60% growth, 50% plus growth, only really started about three years ago. And how long did it take to get there? Um, 13. 13 years? Yeah. Wow, my God. So, you know, I, I imagine the first, let's say the first five years, it's really tough sledding. How did you know it was time to keep, keep on going before throwing, you know, you either you, throw you, in the towel or not? Yeah, I, I think if, uh, first of all, we had very patient investors. I mean, we are a European-based company, so Europeans tend to be a little bit more patient than uh, than in the United States. I don't think this company would exist today if it was born in the States. Um, but um, but but the, the the fundamental the fundamental point was that we were, we we could see evidence in our customers that we were solving one of the most dramatic pains inside that are faced by uh, IT departments. It's just that we 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 started in two thousand one right at the cusp of the bubble burst, um, and um, for a very long time we were offering to do. Uh, web applications, fundamentally uh, web applications, faster, more productive, at a time where people were not really into the mood to change things. And then the the big trigger that uh, accelerated uh, the explosion of out systems was when mobile uh, became a, a must-have inside enterprises. And, and so we, we, we caught the wave of replacement of, uh, of a lot of front-ends um, as part of the digital transformation process that most organizations uh, underwent um, three years ago and now everyone does today, um, they had to actually change the way they interacted with customers, the way uh, they, they had to put, they, they had to make all these portals responsive so that they could work on smartphones and tablets. And that created a, a huge wave of, of redesign. What was um, the lucky break for us was that this notion of, uh, of extreme productivity, very fast change, continuous integration, which we always had in our product, was a must-have for the design of mobile apps. So mobile applications are an exercise in change uh, because it's really difficult to build a, a mobile application where you can get the requirements right up front. So you have to do testing. Most of the time, the first prototypes don't even work from an adoption point of view. You change them. And you go back to the field and you change them. And then it's, you're constantly changing. That, uh, in the end, that, uh, um, that was a lucky break for us because our platform is perfect for those type of processes. And so today where agile methods are the norm, even in very large organizations, a lot of people are facing the situation where traditional technologies to build software using agile are, uh, are very difficult. There is a mismatch and, uh, and platforms like OutSystems were really meant for agile, for high productivity, high change. And so it just took off. Great. It's all about timing at the end of the day. But I mean, was there at any point in time where you felt like the business was going to blow up or fail? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you always have these stories, right? I mean, um, so when we, uh, we started, we, we got $1 million funding in, Oct- in October 2001, if you, if you remember. This was one month right after 9-11. Mm. So we, 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 we slipped in into 
has one of the last venture funds, uh, uh, venture investments in in Europe. Um, after that, the market basically shut off for for two years. So if that didn't happen, I mean, we would have bankrupted even before starting. Um, and then we, uh, what we did from a from a business model point of view is we decided at the time to tackle uh, telecoms. So we decided to let's use telecoms as partners and at the same time use them as customers. Telecoms were very rich um, uh, in Europe, but it so happened that in the end of 2002, our telecom pipe pipeline had completely dried out. Uh, telecoms were in a in a hangover, trying to recover from a lot of investments they did during the bubble. And so <laughs> we wow. basically, at the end of the year, we had absolutely no sales. And so we had to switch back to the enterprise that took six months. And, and uh, every month there was a, the, the cash in the bank would reduce a little bit. And so we were we were driving against the wall until we started selling into the enterprise. We took off, uh, put the company in the black. And then from that point on, then we just, we, we were okay. But those, those initial times, those first three years were really tough. Wow. And some people are probably wondering, you know, just, you know, high level, how, how do you sell into the enterprise? Is it just, you know, phone calls, emails, and then just keep banging against it? No, I mean, this type of sale is a fairly sophisticated sale, is a transformational sale. So uh, so we, we have a, a product that's really easy to use. So we have a free version uh, on site. We have thousands of uh, uh um, thousands of trials and people will go there and, and use it as an experimentation, even to put to to build their own personal apps. Um, but then, for instance, in the United States, we um, uh, we've been traditional uh, relying on a direct sales force. In in countries where we are more mature, and the United States actually is is switching into that model. Uh, more than seventy percent of our sales are done through partners. So it's partners who want to build uh, business solutions, custom build business solutions, either mobile, web, or very large systems. But they want to build it very quickly. So they use our platform, and they end up by being a channel for us to push the platform mm. into the enterprise. Got it. Makes sense. So what's one big change you made? This is more of a personal question. What's one big change you made in the last year that's impacted you? So it could be like joining SoulCycle, for example, or joining a yoga class. You know, I, I think I think probably the, the big change last year was a was 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 an interesting we, we it was an interesting moment. We uh, we went from four hundred. We switched. Uh, we crossed the five hundred employee barrier. I think when you have a, when you start having a very large number of layers uh, in an organization and you come from a from a startup background, there's a moment where you there's the single task that you can do on your own. Everything is done through others. And I guess I hit that point last year, and that that that's a very painful process because uh, you like to be involved. But I've realized now that every little project, even small projects inside out systems, are so big that I cannot do them on my own. And so I I truly became a non-individual contributor last year. <laughs> How does that make you feel? It's weird, but uh, you know, it's gross. It's it's just it's just another stage. I don't know if I could I I could go back um, to 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 the skunk work and the garage and the, and the whole model. But uh, but today it's what it is. It's uh, I work through a great team and uh, the team is fantastic and and I've I've truly learned to to fully delegate even things that uh, I really would like to do a little bit to participate a little bit more on my own. Great, and your team with all five hundred are are in Europe, or are they distributed? Oh no, no, um, a very large team is in the United States. It's it's a completely virtual distributed organization, so we have uh, several critical masses, but we are in eleven countries. Got it. So how do you hire? I mean, you know, when it comes to building a great distributed team, you know, how do you hire great people? 
Well, one of the reasons why we hire great people is because we remove the restriction of the location. And so um, we, instead of hiring, if, if I have the option of hiring an A-plus person or an A-minus, and the A-minus is, for instance, either in Boston or Lisbon, because those are uh, big offices we have, or uh, but the A-plus is in Chicago, for instance, where we don't have an office. I would prefer to hire the Chicago guy or go. Um, so that that's... That's one way uh, we do it. We truly embrace this notion uh, of virtualization, and we do a lot of uh, uh, formal processes to to put to make put people together around a single consistent culture. We also benefit from the fact that our culture is really really strong. We have this little booklet called the Small Book of the Few Big Rules, which is a, a fantastic, uh, almost like cultural uh, little booklet that uh, that we give everyone. And we really abide by those rules. Those rules uh, help. First of all, help uh, recruit people that have uh, that that follow those principles, that believe in those principles, and and the culture itself is a culture where everyone searches the collaboration of others, and so that that helps bridge a lot of the natural barriers that exist in uh, in in people not being in the same location. Love it. Okay. Well, Paula, what's one new tool that you've added in the last year that's added a lot of value, like Dropbox? Well, Dropbox actually, uh, I, I've always used Dropbox. Uh, but but now I'm I have um, I, I can tell you what, what what was the fundamental tool. Fundamental tool was the iPad Pro with uh, with pencil. Why? Well, that that uh, I do a lot of doodling, and so during meetings I'm constantly writing and making drawings as I as I collect the core of the conversations. And I used to I I used to just go through mall skins like you cannot believe. So I would accumulate 20, 50 mall skins per year. Ah, got it. Yeah, first, first I thought you were saying something in Portuguese, but then uh, I realized you're, just, you're talking sorry, about the notebooks, right? My, my, <laughs> my accent was moleskins. Got yes. it. Yep, yep. Um, and so I replaced moleskins uh, with the iPad uh, iPad Pro and the Pencil, and I use Evernote with Penultimate. And and, and so what I do is I, I write a note, uh, draw a note, that thing synchronizes automatically with Evernote. And my PA, for instance, has access to that, so she can immediately. I have a code which I draw um, using the iPad that says this is an action item. These are things to follow up and whatever. And so it's, it's a much much faster. Everything is dig- digitalized. So I stopped using pens, which is uh, one of uh, four years ago. I stopped I stopped reading books in paper, and now I finally got rid of the pencil. Oh, that's cool. That's a cool hack. I might steal it. Um, cool. And what's one must-read book you'd recommend to everyone? Oh, there's a, there's a lot of books. The, the one book that uh, that impressed me the most lately is uh, is the um, the culture map. What is it? Erin something? I don't remember culture her name. Culture map. I'm gonna Google it. The culture right. map. It's a, it's a fantastic. Let me see if I. Are you searching for it? Yeah, I'm searching for. It. I got it right now. It's Erin uh, Meyer. Yeah, exactly. Cool. It's a it's a, for for an organization like Cult Systems where we have a Dutch, we have. Um, um, we have people from Dubai, we have Portuguese, uh, we have British, we have Americans. It looks like a joke uh, in the sense that uh, we have all these uh, these cultures together. Um, this book really um, gives us a framework for a lot of uh, anecdotal evidence that we have in terms of, um, of, sort of culture gaps, idiosyncrasies that, that we see or... or little annoyances uh, when we're discussing, we're giving feedback, and the, the, the book is fantastic. And from all the examples I've seen, it creates a framework for people, for two people that are from different cultures to actually understand why the other react the way they are, or the other, they, and, and, and so it helps into a lot of the communication process. 
And for us, uh, this particular book, we introduce it, some of the, the learnings, we, we put it formally in our training uh, processes. It, it, it really helped us uh, further uh, create a, a unified culture across all these uh, geographies and, uh, and, uh, and offices. Interesting. So this this kind of book isn't a book that you just kind of find on your own. I mean, you must have heard about this from someone. So how did you find this book? Well, the, uh, we, we're uh, we're going through a, a really innovative and uh, and cool uh, leadership enhancement and, and and training process across our system. So today we have about 100 leaders, and in the process of uh, of looking into it and creating frameworks, one of the people, operation ladies came up and said, we should probably introduce some of the concepts of this book. I don't know where she found it, but uh, I got it from her. I love it. Great. Well, Paul, this has been fantastic. What's the best way for people to find you online? Oh, they can just email me. Paulo, P-A-U-L-O dot Rosado, R-O-S-A-D-O at OutSystems.com. All right, Paul, thanks so much for doing this. No, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much for the conversation. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.